Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ridge Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out online at theridgechurch.net. Also, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening today. When I say the word discipline, like what, what jumps into your mind? Like, it's probably one of those words that you're like, ah, like, I don't like it. Like, I not only don't like to receive discipline, but even as a parent, like, I don't even enjoy giving discipline. And really, it is our experience and how we grew up and how we look at the word and what we think of it. Um, I think about discipline even when I was younger. Um, <laughs> my mom, when I was very young, very, very young, and I still have memories of this, my dad worked third shift. And uh, so during the day, I would, she would tell me to be quiet, and I would not be quiet. Like, and so I remember that she would get a belt out. And I remember, I remember what that was like. And I would, she would take me to a place in the laundry room, because that was away from where my dad was sleeping, and I would get spanked. And I remember that to this day. And I'm sure I deserve to be spanked for what I was doing. You know, if I think even later than that, what that looks like, I remember being older, and this is the worst. Like, when you were out with your parents, and then my dad looks at me, and my brother, we were acting up, and there's a four-year age difference between me and my, my younger brother. And he said to me, and I can't remember what we were doing, but he said to me, when we get home, you are getting spanked. And you're like, oh, no. It's like, that is the worst because then it's like the anticipation. And you're just waiting, and you know it's coming when you get home and what that looks like. And you're like sweating it. And it's almost like you make it a bigger deal in your mind than it actually is waiting for that discipline. And I remember this instance coming home, and, and my dad started with my younger brother. And he was probably about four or five, leaned him over his knee, and he spanked him. And I was watching. My little brother jumped up, and he said, oh, that didn't hurt. And I was like, oh, like, why would you say that? So my dad took him again and gave him another spanking. So I learned from that. So when I got spanked, I'm like, oh, (laughs) that that hurt so bad. And I think also in elementary school, like, we, I remember being in elementary school, and there was a pad, like, a huge paddle that our teachers had with, like, holes in it, like, for aerodynamics, and I remember getting, like, uh, paddled at school. And what, it, it, that discipline, like, helped us to understand. And I think about kids these days, you know, you had, you what? You got paddled at school? Like, that would seem, like, absurd that that would happen at school. But I remember that discipline kept, uh, kept me and kept others in line. Now, later in life, I realized that discipline kind of shifts in what you think because then you become a parent. As, you're, as a father, like, I realize that discipline is a good thing, and it's a necessity. Uh, nobody, and we can all re- think about this, nobody likes an undisciplined kid. Right? We can all agree about that. A rotten child who has not been disciplined is hard to handle and hard to deal with. Um, and as a parent, we all have different methods, right, of just like my mom had a belt. Um, and I remember when the boys were younger, it was a wooden spoon. That was the thing that and I'm not talking like it, like, it wasn't hard. I don't want you guys to think that, like, I was beating my children. But it would be like a little, you know, just a little whack to get their attention. And I remember because it would be like, oh, I'm going to get the spoon. And they'd be like, oh, you know, it would be like that thing where they would listen. And they would learn from what that they were doing. And as they got older then, it became different methods of discipline when we looked at it. It was taking, you know, restrict, like restrictions. Like, I remember my son Isaac, um, when he got his license... <laughs> 
he, like he wouldn't follow the rules. Like we gave him rules to follow and then he would break them. Like he wasn't supposed to have other people in his car and he wouldn't, like people would ask him after school and he said, sure. And I remember he took somebody home and then he backed into a, a trailer and got a dent in the car and I was not a happy father. And we, so we went and we, what did we do? We disciplined him. We took away his driving privileges and we took away, like he had to stop playing sports at that time because he had no way to get there. And, and I look at that discipline, and that was not easy. I mean, it wasn't convenient for us. I mean, he was helping us by driving his brothers around and, and, and stuff like that. So it wasn't easy, but we realized that we needed to follow through with the discipline. It was because we were training him. It was guidance and correction. Now, Isaac today, as a married adult, has come back to us as parents and said, thank you. Thank you for the discipline. And like my eyeballs fell out of my head. Like to have a child come back to you and say, I really appreciate how I was raised and the discipline that I received. It really helped me. Now, it was loving discipline. Now, not always perfect. There was times when I lost my temper or got angry. And I look at those times and I've even asked for forgiveness for those times. But we discipline out of love for our children. Why? Because we want them to become better. We want them to become better. If we look at Ephesians, Ephesians 6, 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You know, very wise words that Paul is giving there, uh, that we shouldn't make our children angry, and we should raise them in discipline and instruction, what, of the Lord. Like, that is so important in how we discipline and what we do. So thinking about your relationship with God, If you are here today and you have a surrendered life, if you're a Christ follower, what does that look like? Your relationship with the Heavenly Father, have you received discipline? So today, as we continue in chapter 12 of Hebrews, we see the author talking about God's people receiving discipline and what that looks like. So just to review just a little bit, if you're here today and we are going through the entire book of Hebrews and we have come a long way because we're in the last two chapters, we're almost there as we get closer to the end. But just to review just a little bit, during this book we have learned so much about who Jesus is. Uh, He's the great high priest and there is a superiority that Jesus has that the author is trying to get through to these people. Now the author, we don't know who the author is. Um, actually, in this text that we're looking at, it may be Paul is what we kind of think, but we're not sure. It's a mystery. God has made it a mystery to us. He's kind of brought up here in the, in the past verses this idea of running the race, and that is also a theme that Paul talks about in other books. But either way, God chose it to be a mystery, and God wants us to focus on the text and what? The supremacy of who Jesus is. That is what we're learning. And to understand the context, I always want to say this, That is why we're going through the entire book, so we can put it into context. Uh, We don't know who it is written to specifically, but we know it is Hebrews. uh, It is Christians, who they're early Jewish Christians, who are kind of falling back into rituals of Judaism. Right? They're comfortable with what they were doing, and they're not realizing really who Jesus is or seeing the picture of who he is. And that is what the author is trying to get through. So. As we go through this, we see that there's well-known stories and scriptures that he refers back to. Even today, in this scripture that we're going through, the, the author goes back to Proverbs to remind them of who Jesus is, who God is, and who they are in the relationship with him. 
So last week, uh, we began this chapter, and Raleigh showed uh, this beautiful imagery about running the race and what that looks like, and how the author tied this to their faith, um, that they were going to have to endure, and points to uh, the great heroes, right, in chapter 11 of the Old Testament. Um, Symbolically now, we kind of looked at last week that the heroes of the past are viewed as, as what, like spectators, and uh, the Christians now are like in the arena, is what the author is trying to Uh, come across. And then he points to Jesus. And this is so important. In Hebrews 12, verse 2, looking to Jesus. I just want to pause there for a minute. Looking to Jesus. That is the example. The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now that scripture kind of sets up the tone of the rest of what we're reading. Last week, our big idea was biblical faith motivates us, motivates and instructs us. And our next step was keep your focus on Christ so you can finish the race. Looking to Jesus, right? He is our focus, our inspiration. Uh, he is our example because what he endured, so they can endure and we can endure. So now the author explaining that they must endure hardship Uh, Because it is sent as what? A discipline from God. So we're focusing on discipline this week and what that looks like. So what is our big idea? Our big idea this week is God disciplines his people. God disciplines his people. Now it's very important. How you view God makes a huge difference. So as we go through the text today, what I want you to do is realize how you your perception of who God is, and I want you to take this as we go through it and we look at his discipline and what that looks like, and I want you to kind of look and get a new perspective on who God is. So what is your view on the discipline from God? What is the purpose and the reason for discipline? Is discipline punishment? What is the difference between discipline and punishment, or is it the same thing? As we go through this, we're going to talk more in depth about this. Or is it correction and guidance as we talk about how God disciplines us? So let's dive into the text today and we'll see what biblical discipline from God looks like so we can adjust our thinking and and get a healthy view of discipline. So let's start with verse 3. Now I know Raleigh uh, ended with verse 3 last week, and, uh, but it strongly ties with verse 4. So I'm going to start in verse 3 this week. And uh, it kind of sets up where we're going. So we will begin in verse 3. And what I want to start with is verse 3 through 6. All right, so we'll start in verse 3. It says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now, if we look at the text there, and it says, consider him, we're, we're talking about, remember, looking to Jesus, right? He is the example. Uh, he endured hostility from who? From sinners, is what he's saying. That is the example that, they, that he is making a point to take away. Now, in there, it says, in your struggle against sin. Now, when we look at that, what is he talking about when he says your struggle against sin? Now, it's not talking about, like, personal sin, like your own personal sin, or the sin that they're doing. It's the same thought here as what he is referring to Jesus. 
Uh, it is sin, those antagonistic to the Christian faith. So that is what he's talking about when it says the word sin there. It's not personal sin, but think of it as like an opponent or somebody against the Christian faith. So go on to verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Now here he is once again going to Proverbs. And what is he doing? He's reminding them and saying, have you forgotten, right? And I think we can all relate to that. We often forget. In our minds, we think of God in it, we view him in a certain way, and then we kind of forget. So he is bringing them back to what they should already know. So what do we learn about discipline here in this first section? We learn that discipline is from love. Discipline is from love. It's not out of anger. It is not out of disappointment. And that is where we tend to go when we think of, when we think of uh, discipline. Remember, this is an important concept. How you view God and who he is is how you view discipline and how you receive it. So as we continue to dive in, Proverbs. So this, he's referring here to Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. So I want to read that to you. It says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Now, it's just a little bit different than what he quotes there as we have gone through the scripture. But you see there, it's an important thing. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, right? This is this discipline for who? It's out of love. It is for those who he loves. And so important there, as a father, the son in whom he delights. Such an important concept to look at there. It's not who drives him crazy, right? It is whom he delights, this is who he, the reproof is for. Now, if we go to Psalm 94, verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law. Now, there's so much that if we can go through Scripture and kind of pull out about discipline and what that looks like. But this Scripture talking about is actually you are blessed if you, are, if you receive discipline. The, is the, blessed is the man who you discipline, O Lord. And often we don't think about that. It's a blessing to be disciplined, you know, why? But it is a blessing, why? Because it is out of love, and we need to understand that and, and understand God from that view and that perspective. So this is the biggest challenge of our thinking. When you are discipled by God, or when you're disciplined by God, do you really understand why he is disciplining you and what that looks like? It is from love. It's not anger. It's not disappointment. I'll say that again because I think that needs to be like pounded home into our brain because what we think is, oh, man, I messed up. God is disappointed, and he's just going to, what, pound me because of this. No, he doesn't discipline out of anger. He doesn't discipline out. No, it's because of love and what he is doing. So how you view God here, he is a loving father. Why? Because he disciplines out of love. He's a loving father who, what, delights in his children. And I think that is something that we forget. We see this further in the next passage if we go on to verse 7. It says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? 
So we see here now, he talks about sons. Now, if you look at other translations also, it's his children. So we're not just talking about boys here. Well, I feel like boys in my house got the most discipline, right? But it's boys and girls. This is his children in what we are looking at. But the point there is a father who does not discipline does not love. Now, we struggle with that because as a father, man, you know, I, if, I, well, if I let my kids do what I, they want and I'm not, I don't discipline them, well, they should know that I love them, right? Well, no, that's not what it is. A father who does not discipline does not love. There's no care there. So what do we learn about discipline? Discipline is received like a son. Discipline is received like a son. This should help you see a new perspective here when we look at our relationship with God and what that looks like. The father-child dynamic gives us great insight and understanding to how we view God. Deuteronomy 8, 5, and 6 says, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of, of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. Now, very clear there in that scripture from Deuteronomy, so they would be familiar with this. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, we see the connection there, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep his commandments. And so in that discipline, what should they be doing, right? Walking in his ways and fearing him. That is being obedient to who God is. Proverbs, probably one as a parent, probably one of your favorites. Uh, verses Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Now, if we look at this and we look at the biblical perspective here, it is very clear Whoever spares the rod, right, whoever does not discipline, who, and the rod is what? That's um, a tool used to what? Spank. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So does discipline mean punishment? This is where I kind of want to pull this out for you just a little bit so you can make it clearer in your mind. Are God's children punished for their sins? I think that's the way we feel. I think if I am a Christ follower and I, and I sin or I do something dumb, I feel like well, I'm going to get punished. My life is not going well right now because of why? Because I did something wrong, and this is punishment from God. Well, I want you to kind of think about that for just a second because Romans 8.1 says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I want to be clear here. Jesus has taken the punishment for sin. If you surrender to him, if you're a Christ follower, if you're a new creation, then he has taken the wrath and punishment for your sin. Now, if you're here today and you're not a Christ follower, all of us are born into sin. And because of the fall and because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve, our relationship from God is broken. And I think the girls in their testimony videos did such a great job explaining this, right? We're separated from God. But there's only one way that we can have that relationship restored, and that's through what? The perfect sacrifice, who Jesus is. He did not sin. And he is the one who obediently and willingly died to pay that punishment 
for that sin. So I don't want you to think about being punished for sin. That would minimize what Jesus did on the cross. And I think that is so important. You're receiving correction like a loved child. Now, it's very important, and I want you to think of this. With sin, there are consequences. So if I sin or if I do something wrong, right, if I am speeding in my car and I get pulled over, I get a ticket, right? So there are consequences to our sin that we must face. But those consequences God uses for correction in our life and guidance to get us where he wants us to be. So just because Jesus has paid the price for our sins doesn't mean that, well, I'm never going to, you know, receive discipline. I'm never, I'm never going to have any punishment or I'm never going to have any discipline or receive any consequence for a sin that I do. No, that's not correct. God will allow for correction when we sin in our lives. But I want you to remember, if he didn't care, right, he wouldn't correct us. If he didn't care about us, if he didn't love us, he wouldn't correct us. He corrects like a father. So discipline is received like a son. All right, let's go on to verse 8. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So this parent comparison continues, and talking about discipline is what? It's a, it's a sign, right? It's an indicator that what? That you're a child of God. If you are receiving discipline, that means that you're, it shows that God is disciplining you, and that shows that you're a child of God. So what do we learn about discipline here? Discipline confirms salvation. Discipline confirms salvation. If you are a child of God, you will be disciplined. It's, you know, you don't get a pass on that. You will be disciplined. And right there it says, you are part of the many who suffered. It says, all have participated. So, man, you're, we are in great company. For those who have suffered and been disciplined, we are doing the same. We receive that same discipline. First uh, Peter, as we go through here, there's going to be a lot that we're going to reference in Peter. Uh, Romans, as we go through here, because these are in James, because these are all talking about suffering and what that looks like. So First Peter 5, 8 through 10 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. What a beautiful promise there. But if you look in that text that Peter is saying, it says, resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by who? Your brotherhood throughout the world. These are people who are part of his family. These are children. These are brothers and sisters in Christ experiencing the same thing. But what a beautiful promise. And is it the, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. 
That's the kind of promise you just need to hold on to. 1 Corinthians 11.32 says, But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. You see that there is a piece there that because the rest of the world, if you are not a child, if you're not a born-again believer, what? You are condemned, right? You're deserving of the wrath of God. All of us are deserving of the wrath of God. But because Jesus paid for our sins and we are surrendered, he has changed our heart, made us a new creation, we are free from that wrath. So we are set apart. We're not condemned. So discipline assures that you are saved. And that is such a wonderful, wonderful thing. Now, in her testimony video, uh, Lila talked about being confused. I thought it was very good. I love testimony videos because you really get the chance to see how people have come to know and how people have come to know Christ. And every testimony is different. Uh, Lila talked about being confused. She was going through the, the things that she was going through, what seemed unfair to her. But she realized her faith was what? Being stretched. And I thought, wow, that's exactly what we're talking about today. Her faith was being stretched. She was growing in Christ. It was training in what she was, in how God was training her up. And then she said, he is always with me, even in the bad times, even in the bad times. This is a chance to examine your own relationship right now. So are you being stretched? Are you being trained? So I would ask you, if not, are you fully surrendered in what that looks like? Is Jesus your Lord? So discipline confirms salvation. If you are suffering as others who have been persecuted. All right, let's go on. Verses 9 and 10. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we uh, not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. Uh, Now we see a comparison here that he kind of draws out uh, between earthly fathers and heavenly father. Um, It says, because we respect our earthly fathers, how much more should we respect and understand our heavenly father and his discipline? The problem here that we run into is many of us probably didn't have an example of a heavenly father as an earthly father. So we fight with that image in our mind. Our earthly fathers are not perfect at all. So even here, as it says, uh, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Yes, that is what we are to do. We are to respect our earthly fathers. But then remember our heavenly father who is perfect. If we respect them, how much more should we respect our uh, father of spirits and what? And live. Earthly is what? For a short time. But God, as our father, disciplines for our good with what? Eternity in mind. We can't even comprehend that when we are sanctified and how he is doing this is for our good to share in his holiness, right? We are set apart. It is for our good. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellent, and excellence, 
by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. This idea of being set apart, as Peter reminds what we as believers and what they as believers going through um, persecution and what that looks like, but they are partakers of the divine nature. We get to share in this holiness with God that we are so undeserving. So discipline is for our good. Now, we should even count our discipline as joy. Now, the, now Taylor, who did her testimony video today, talks about um, her joy even in the bad days. And I just love the way Taylor talked about her life, and then she talked about her worries, her anxiety, and what that looked like. But then she talks about, I have joy. Because of why? Because she understands God's grace for her. And even on the bad days, she has joy. Now, to the world, that makes no sense. If you are having a bad day and you are suffering, how could you have joy? Well, it is because God loves you, and as you're going through discipline, you're relying on him. Though it doesn't make sense to the world, it makes sense to the believer. We should have joy. James 1, verses 2 through 4, says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. James has great advice here, right? We need to count it as joy when we receive trials. We don't want to. We don't want it at all. We want to complain and say, oh, why am I going through this? I don't understand. I don't deserve this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We're being stretched. We're being trained, right? Discipline should give us joy. Why? Because it is for our good. It is not to make us miserable. Although, like a child, we may not understand. I think about, uh, this is such a great perspective when you think about this, in the, in the God, the Father, and then we're children. Because as a parent, my child wants candy, like loves sugar more than anything. And I think of... Um, my youngest son, Eli, like, he didn't want to eat anything, like, that was remotely healthy. Just give him sugar all the time. Now, to a child, will make me happy. Give me sugar. Give me candy all the time. But as a parent, what? We have a different perspective because we know what's better for our child. So what? They should eat vegetables. They should eat healthy things instead of the sugar. Why? Because it's better for them, and we want what's better for them. Now, Hunter, as he grew up, hated vegetables. Like, he would take a, anything that was green and just, like, pour ketchup all over it. So you couldn't even see the green anymore. And he would eat it. But it was something, vegetables are something that is good. Now, as a child, they would be like, what? Why do you hate me? Why do you make me do things I don't want to do? All right? Now, take that same perspective and look at yourself and your relationship with God. Is there sometimes when you're like, God, why do you hate me? Why am I going through this? But God is on a different plane, a different perspective. He knows the big picture. He is the creator, and we are the creation. Now, I want to say that again. He is the creator, and we are the creation. You have to remember that perspective. He is sovereign. He's always in control. Nothing is out of control. 
The Bible refers to us as the clay, and he is the potter. He can train and shape us however he wishes, but you have to trust that he knows what's best. That's where we have to let go and trust that discipline is for our good. And it's counted, we need to count it as joy, that we have the opportunity to be loved by God in that way, that he cares for us so much that he wants us to grow, that he wants to train us. But the problem that we run into is what? It's painful. So let's look at the next verse, because that is what he is saying. Verse 11, our final verse for today. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. (laughs) So in the moment, it is painful, right? We all need to acknowledge that. Because I'm sitting here telling you, well, count it as a joy. You should be happy, right? And you're like, well, give me a break because it is painful when I'm suffering. So what do we learn here about discipline? Discipline will not be pleasant. Discipline will not be pleasant. Right there it says, it seems painful. It would be ridiculous if when I disciplined my son, if I took away Isaac's driving privilege and I disciplined him, if he just laughed with joy, right? Oh, thank you. That just makes me so happy, Dad, that you did that, right? That's not going to happen. We should expect it to hurt, but we should look at the result, right, not the process. Focus on the result because it says later, what happens? Yields peaceful fruit of righteousness, to those who have been, what, trained. To those who have been trained. Back to the athletic imagery, if you think about being trained and what that looks like, if you are training yourself, like for the football team, um, what does that look like? It looks like lifting weights and, and making yourself in shape, right? And if you've ever done that kind of training, what? It hurts. Like your body aches. Your muscles are sore. You have to stretch them. And then you put yourself through pain in the process. But it's part of that training. Training equals sore muscles, aching bodies. It's not pleasant. But it is to win the race and get what? Peaceful fruit of righteousness. Peaceful fruit of righteousness. Back to 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, uh, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Once again, to encourage you, what is Peter saying here? In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, just for a little while, if necessary, you have grieved by various trials. Think about what is to come so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found in the result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is where your focus should be. James 1.12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive what? The crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. All of this to remind us in text and scripture to focus on what is to come, not the suffering that we're going through because it is painful at the time. Romans 8, 18. 
For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And I love the way Paul puts this here because that is so much truth. It's a great perspective. This suffering now, it doesn't compare to what's to come. It's not worth comparing, is what he's saying, with the glory that what is to be revealed. Now, it's not even worth it. Like, we can't even comprehend it. The suffering. But what happens? We turn inward. Oh, why am I suffering? Why am I going through this? Like, we get the woe is me's, like, attitude. But we need to focus on what is to come. The problem is we want to be comfortable. We don't want to suffer or to be grieved by trials. Remember, it is not worth comparing with the glory that is to revealed, to be revealed. Let that sink in and reflect on that. The suffering is for a short time. So as we have gone through this, as we have looked, so at the author's reminder of discipline, we see that discipline is what? From love. Discipline is for a child of God. Discipline confirms our salvation. And it is for our good. All of these things that we see, the positive of what discipline means to us. So what is our next step? Our next step is this. Be assured in the discipline. Be assured in the discipline. So when we are going through trials, when we are going through discipline, I want you to be assured in the discipline of the promises that we went through today and who God is and our relationship with the Father. The author here is assuring the readers through their discipline, what? He has reminded them that the heroes of the Old Testament were disciplined, right? They were disciplined. He's assuring them of God's love. He disciplines those he loves. I want to beat that into our heads today. They are children of God, and it also assures them their salvation. And discipline is for their good. It will not be pleasant but it has a larger purpose. So if you are here today and you are a Christ follower, do you have that assurance? Where do you go during suffering and trials? Do not turn away. I think that that's what we want to do. We're so inward focused that when we are going through suffering, when we're going through trials and things that we can't quite understand or we don't know the purpose of what we want to turn away and focus on ourselves which is our instinct, but what we need to do is turn towards Christ in those times. He offers comfort to those who seek him. When we look at who God is, I want you to also really realize who Jesus is. Um, Desiree and I are going through this book right now. It's called Gentle and Lowly. It's by uh, Dane Ortland, and it's called Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. Now, in this book, it really lays out the perspective of who Jesus is through Scripture and how he dealt with people, that he was gentle and lowly. And what does that mean? He has a heart for the broken. And a lot of times we think that if we sin, that Jesus wants to put us out here like, oh, no, I can't even look at him. I'm disappointed in her because of what happened. But that is not who Jesus is. That is not the heart of Jesus. Um, In that book, I want to read this section that he wrote. It says, Contrary to what we expect to be the case, therefore, the deeper into weakness and suffering and testing we go, 
the deeper Christ's solidarity with us. Now, what a beautiful picture. The deeper that we go into suffering and testing and trials, the more solidarity we have with Jesus. As we go down into pain and anguish, we are descending ever deeper into Christ's very heart, not away from it. He does not condemn. This is the opposite to our instincts. We want to what? Draw away. But Jesus is gentle and lowly and suffers with us during those times. Remember, he is the great high priest. That is what we would, he intercedes for us. That is what this whole chapter is about. He has a heart for the broken. And I tell you what, each and every one of us here are broken. And he has a heart for the broken. So seek him. And then as you as we are Christ followers, right, we seek him, and then what? We seek comfort in the Holy Spirit. I want to leave you with Romans 5, 3 through 5. It really shows this. It says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. If you look at the promises there in Romans that Paul is writing, what? He's talking about rejoicing in our sufferings. Why? Because we know that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And how do we have all that things? It is because of the Holy Spirit shows us God's love. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. I can't stress this enough. Always seek daily guidance and wisdom from the Holy Spirit every day. I think that is one thing that we minimize is the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We should never take that for granted, and we should always seek him every single day. All right, so God disciplines why? Because he loves. That is what I want you to take away from that today. So be assured in the discipline. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today grateful. Father, there's so many truths in the the text today that we see about discipline and what that looks like. And although our hearts want to turn away from discipline, Father, if we understand our true relationship with you, it is one that is loving of guidance and instruction, that our discipline is for our good and because you love us. So, Father, we want to be assured of your love when we are being disciplined. Father, if there's anyone here who does not have a surrendered life, they are not a new creation. Father, I pray that today is that day you draw them near to you. And as they surrender their lives, Father, that they can be assured in these promises. And Father, if there's anyone here today who is going through trials and suffering with confusion, I pray that they do not turn away, but seek you first in the confusion to help them to walk through this. Fathers, we make, it, make us stronger and build our faith with you. Father, what beautiful examples you have given us here to look at in the Old Testament as the author points back. And Father, we are just honored and blessed to be part and to be children of yours. So, Father, we want to be obedient and submissive to that. So we thank you today. 
We thank you for your word, and we just pray that we walk in obedience daily. So, Father, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you have questions about this message or about the Ridge Church, you can contact us at info at theridgechurch.net. Have a blessed day.